Hey everybody, thanks for joining me for Supernatural Theology. This is the podcast where we are seeking to know both the scriptures and the power of God. If you remember, Jesus rebuked the Pharisees because they knew neither of these, but in times like the days we live, we want to be full of the power of the Spirit, and we want to be rock solid in our understanding of the Word. So let's dig deep this week in Supernatural Theology. Hello, friends of Morningstar. We're getting started a little bit late today. I had sort of a um, whirlwind hour for the last uh, hour or two trying to address some things that just came up, but I am ready to go now. And this may be a shorter video. I haven't had time to kind of uh, prepare as thoroughly as I normally do, but uh, I really felt like the Lord gave me some awesome revelation this morning that I wanted to share, even if it's only for a few minutes, and something that I think we could certainly develop uh, in you know the next week or the next couple weeks. Um, <clears throat> first of all, I want to say this. If you did not listen to Sunday's message, both the 9 and 11 a.m. services were similar messages but uh, had some different emphasis uh, I want to encourage every person who sees this video to go and watch Sunday morning's messages from Chris Reed. Uh, he was really expounding the gospel, specifically our identity and our righteousness in Christ uh, and the way that grace is released in our life uh, through our faith and uh, how having our faith in the right object is what enables us to walk in power and victory, uh, but allowing our faith to be in us, you know, our own, um, our own deeds, our own things that we do, how it actually cuts us off from the flow of the grace of God, the flow of the power of God. I'm not doing it justice. It's a topic that I have uh, heard messages on that I've studied into, but uh, as far as just a single message that encapsulated some of the most important truths in just a very concise way that was just extremely clear, uh, I want to encourage you to go and listen to the to one of those messages if you haven't yet. I've already listened to it um, three times now, so I encourage you to go and listen to it yourself. All right, so I wanted to talk about the prophetic panorama. Uh, so the word panorama means something along the lines of uh, an unobstructed view of the entire surroundings. And so, you know, a panoramic photo is where you take your phone and you kind of scan along the horizon and you get sort of a, a 180 shot in a, in a single picture. Uh, and a, I've heard uh, the word prophetic panorama describing uh, prophetic visions that are kind of all-encompassing, where it's actually like you're really there. I don't know that I've ever had that kind of vision. I haven't, I don't think, ever had that kind of vision where my eyes are open and I'm seeing that kind of thing externally. But I've certainly had trance-like experiences uh, where I've been completely engulfed in an experience that is like a dream, but you're fully awake. Uh, and it's not until you come out of the experience that you fully even realize that you are having an experience. It was like it was real. It was like you were really there. It was like you were fully engaged, you know, body, soul, and spirit, like you're really there. 
Um, but I think some of the things like Rick describes in uh, the final quest, he, he describes kind of a panoramic vision, something that opens up, eyes open out in front of you, if I understand it correctly. So I want to talk in terms of a, pre a prophetic panorama, uh, but specifically looking at some of the experiences that Isaiah and Jeremiah uh, have had and how it relates to what happens in our own life or at least in the lives of those in which God is really raising up as a prophet to a nation. You know, there was something about Isaiah's prophetic ministry where both history and prophecy of the future uh, were so closely intermingled that from one moment to the next, often in some of the biblical prophets, you see Israel's history recounted, and then you see uh, God giving his perspective on that history, saying, yes, uh, I was blessing them, you know, or yes, they did go into captivity, or they were judged by other nations because of their wickedness. So it's like Isaiah or Jeremiah or some of the minor prophets are caught up into these prophetic experiences, and they're recounting Israel's history. It's like God showing them, you know, the video of hundreds or thousands of years ago, and God's giving perspective on the history that has brought us to this moment and then often especially in Isaiah God will fast forward to the end of the age or the age to come and he'll say and this is what I'm going to do in the future so history serves as the context for where a nation is at now and serves as kind of the backdrop or the backstory uh, for God to speak prophetically to what's coming in the future, the near future and the very distant future. And I was reading Isaiah this morning, and I was just kind of reading the last four or five chapters of Isaiah, and there's this unbroken, amazing, uh, prophetic uh, finale, this this sort of um, this high point. Uh, there's a, a word that's on the tip of my tongue right now, this... Um, uh, any, anyway, but there's just this incredible uh, high moment where it's like the entire book of Isaiah is a roller coaster ride. And, you know, the, the uh, early part of Isaiah is it, it is a lot of uh, judgment, but there's also a lot of prophecy, a lot of prophecy about Christ. But once you get really to the last 20 or 25 chapters of Isaiah, you get into this incredibly hope-filled, glorious prophecy of what God's going to do at the end of the age and what he's going to do in the age to come. And it's in a, in a crescendo, that's the word I'm looking for. And the last, you know, four, five, six chapters of Isaiah are this explosive crescendo where God is recounting history and he's remembering times whenever Israel loved him and worshiped him, but also times when he had to discipline them and release judgment on them. But then he is declaring the promise of what's to come. There's going to come a day whenever all sickness will be healed and all evil will be dealt with and I'll fill the earth with my glory and, uh, and everything will be restored. Even uh, the wolf and the lamb will lay down together and there will be no more enmity between man and beast and uh, God will uh, fully fellowship with mankind on the face of the earth. It's like... Isaiah recounts really all of human history. You've probably heard before that the book of Isaiah is like a Bible in miniature. The first uh, 39 
Uh, I think it's the first 39 chapters of the book are like the Old Testament, which has 39 chapters. And then the uh, last, is it 26 chapters of the book are like the New Testament. It's got the same number of chapters there as the New Testament has. And they're very parallel to the New Testament. Those last uh, chapters, I guess it's the last 26 chapters, 25 chapters or something like that. But the themes very much parallel the New Testament. And in the book of Isaiah, you get both kind of God's heart in the Old Covenant and how his dealing with man worked, and you get God's heart in the New Covenant. Uh, and we've got to realize in the New Covenant, two uh, there's a billion incredible things, but two major themes that mean everything to us today and for the rest of eternity is that God is bringing forth a new creation through Christ in you and I and God is bringing forth a new creation of the entire created order in Christ at the end of the age after he returns and something that is apparent there's a lot of parallels between uh, the writings of Isaiah and the writings of Paul but the new creation work that God did in you when you were born again is a foreshadowing. It's a preview of coming attractions. The new creation born again redemption that took place in you when you received the gospel and were born again is uh, it's a it's in miniature what is going to happen when all of creation receives Christ at his return and we come into the time of the restoration of all things. This is what the book of Acts says, Jesus Christ whom heaven must retain until the time of the restoration of all things. You know, Jesus, whenever he uh, hung on the cross, he cried out, it is finished, and he gave up the ghost. And because of that redemptive work, 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us that if you are in Christ, then all old things pass away, all things become new, now all things are of God, and you become a new creation. Well, after the return of the Lord, Revelation 21 tells us that uh, after Jesus has restored things for a thousand years is the way that I understand it, there's a great restoration project, and then heaven and earth become one. The new Jerusalem comes down and the Father himself comes to dwell with mankind forever. And this time, it's the Father speaking from heaven. He says, it is finished. And he declares this time not only over a believer, an individual person, he declares over all creation, Revelation 21, he says, now all old things pass away and all things become new. And he says, and I will wipe away every tear from their eye. There will be no more sorrow or sickness or suffering. There will be no need for a son because uh, the Lamb and the Lord God Almighty will be the light. And he's describing the new creation born again experience that happens to the whole cosmos at the coming of the Lord. This is what Ephesians mean whenever it says that God before the ages intended that he would sum up all things in heaven and on earth together in Christ. It's just like Jesus Christ restored you and I whenever we receive salvation. He will restore the entire created order whenever he comes again uh, as the conquering king. And so I, I was just kind of reading these chapters of Isaiah that just extol the glory of what is going to happen when the kingdom comes to earth. 
And I was just in awe at the back and forth between God and Isaiah. And, and I see a very similar parallel between God and Jeremiah, but Jeremiah is reflecting on Israel's past and he's prophesying a coming judgment, although he does give glimmers of hope that there will be a restoration. But you see this intimacy between God and Jeremiah that was unlike anyone else in his generation that we're aware of. But it was like Jeremiah would be caught up in these moments with God where it seemed as he was completely unaware of his surroundings or anything happening in the earth. And he would be caught up in this heavenly dialogue where God would be talking to him about Israel's past and Israel's present and why he had to judge them and why they were going to go into captivity. And then he would say, but I will restore, but I will save, I will redeem, and I will. And, he, and even Jeremiah got revelation of the new covenant where God would uh, cause the law of God to be written on our heart and he would give us his spirit that would cause us to walk in his ways. And But in Isaiah in particular, he is... Uh, in this, again, this best friend kind of dialogue with God. To me, that's one of the most amazing um, privileges of the prophetic office. And I think prophetic people, uh, you know, in measure, this is available. I think it's available. I think any believer could be God's very best friend. And I don't just mean God loves, you know, he, I'm his favorite, you're his favorite. That is true. And I think the, the more we get a hold of that, the more powerful a life we're going to live on the earth. But I mean this, that right now, I think that there is a human that God, uh, that God prefers to share his secrets with more than everybody else on the earth. There's someone that God is uh, dialoguing with more than everyone else on the earth. There's someone that God would say, you know, he's my best friend or she's my best friend. I can share anything with them and they rejoice with me and they weep with me. Whenever I mourn, they mourn with me. When I rejoice, I rejoice. I, you know, whenever my heart is burdened, I can unburden my heart on them and they will carry the burden of the Lord and they will carry it in their heart and they will carry it with the same level of, um, emotion and preciousness and weight and value that I do. And I think anyone can be God's best friend, but the way that I understand it, the prophet in particular uh, was, uh, is, not, not was, still today, is in this place where uh, God is, he's sharing with them. You know, God does nothing in the earth except he reveal it to his servants, the prophets, or his friends, the prophets. One of the unique, uh, incredible opportunities of the prophet, and, and I think that this is why Rick, for instance, has been a student of history. And, you know, Rick has this passion for American history. And, you know, passion is contagious. I love to hear Rick talk about American history. And I love American history. I study it a lot myself. But just like Isaiah, as God is talking to him about the current judgment and about coming judgment or coming blessing and the ultimate redemption of all Israel, God is always referring back 
to Israel's history. He would talk about uh, whenever he first made covenant with Abraham. He would talk about uh, Israel in Egypt crying out to him and whenever he brought them out in the wilderness and whenever he brought them into the promised land and destroyed their enemies. But then whenever they worshiped the golden calf in the wilderness and there was judgment released and then once they got into the land and they got comfortable and they started to worship other gods and he allowed them to be disciplined and allowed them to be judged. But Isaiah had to have this intimate understanding of Israel's history and God would catch him up in these experiences and replay Israel's history to give context, to give him the whole storyline that would lead to the very moment in Isaiah's life and time that he was living through, and then to also say, it was like God would say, but you know, you remember, you remember the story how I brought them into the promised land and, and they, they entered into the labors of another, homes they did not build and vineyards they did not plant and they got to enjoy my bounty. And Isaiah would say, yes, Lord, you are so good. And, he, and Isaiah would start to praise the Lord and say, God, you are merciful and kind and you're a good father. And, and God would say, but but you remember they turned towards other gods and they grieved my heart. And Isaiah would say, yes, Lord, and, and, and I grieve with you. You can just hear this back and forth. Isaiah, Jeremiah, and some of the other prophets. And then God would say, and I had to discipline them and I had to allow them to be exiled, but I'm going I'm going to uh, fill the earth with my glory and I'm going to save all of Israel. And uh, I, I hope you're following me, but this is where the word panorama comes from. The reason I said panorama is because it was both, yes, he was caught up in a prophetic experience, but he had understanding of history, and his understanding of history gave him a framework to understand God's future for Israel. And I think that many prophetic voices, the reason that the founding fathers of America and American history has become such an important topic in our day is because I think America is in the balance right now and intercessors are fueled by those stories of the founding fathers and the different wars that we fought and different key moments in America because if we can see the pattern of how God worked in our nation in the past then it kind of gives us a, a set of lenses to understand what God wants to do in our future and gives us language for intercession that God would intervene so that things will not go like they did at this time in history or so that things will go like they did when we got this breakthrough at a certain point in history. And so, but anyway, I'm reading through this and I read in uh, Isaiah 63... Isaiah is saying, God, where is your zeal for Israel? And where, uh, he says, God, stir up your heart to save us. This is Isaiah 63, 15. This is as Isaiah is kind of interceding about the captivity that Israel's going into. And he says, Isaiah 63, 15, he says to God, look down from heaven and see your habitation, holy and glorious. God, remember us. He says, where are your zeal and your strength? Listen to this. Where is the yearning of your heart and your mercies towards us? Are they restrained? He's saying, God, isn't your heart stirred? You know, where is your mercy, God? Are you restraining your heart and the stirring of your heart? 
And then the very uh, next verse, Isaiah says, God, that you would rend the heavens, that you would come down, that the mountains might shake at your presence like fire burns the brushwood. This is the, the rend the heavens, like so many songs have been written about, so many prayers have been prayed. God, would you rend the heavens and come down? And then God says to Isaiah, he says, verse 7, he says, Where is the one who calls on your name? who stirs himself up to take hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us. You have consumed us because of your iniquities. And so Isaiah 63 is saying, where is the stirring of God's heart to rescue us? Isaiah 64 is saying, where is the stirring of God's people's heart to cry out to him? Where are the ones who will stir themselves up to take hold of God? Where are the ones who will in zeal cry out for God to act in zeal. And there's just this incredible dialogue. And then finally, as you get to Isaiah 63, one of the most powerful passages of God judging his enemies and his garments being covered in blood. And it's a picture of Jesus marching toward Jerusalem in the battle of Armageddon to rescue uh, Israel. And then Isaiah 64 uh, begins to to speak about Isaiah 64 and 65 begin to speak about this ultimate coming of the Lord to restore and to redeem all things and the promise of the glory uh, that's going to fill the earth. You know, it's behold, I create a new heavens and a new earth. So he's been reviewing history. Now he's saying, I create a new heavens and a new earth. The former shall not be remembered or come to mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in what I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem as a rejoicing and her people with joy. And then verse 20, No more will there be an infant who lives but a few days, nor an old man who has not fulfilled his days. For the child will die at a hundred. He's saying if someone dies at a hundred in this future day, they must be a child because everyone lives past a hundred. Only a child would die at a hundred. Or the sinner being a hundred years old will be accursed. In other words, if you die at a hundred, you must be a sinner because in that day, no one dies at a hundred. And then they'll build houses, they'll plant vineyards, and so on and so, uh, so on and so forth. And then finally, Isaiah 66 is the ultimate testimony of heaven and earth becoming one. And I encourage you to read it, the new heavens and the new earth. It's glorious. It's like the book of Revelation. There's the parallels between the entire Bible and Isaiah. And so here's what I'm going to land with because, um, you know, again, I didn't have time to prepare today. I was just going to share with you just this Revelation whirlwind that I was in this morning. Um, you know, there is this panorama that I think right now is critical for the prophetic church uh, to get a hold of, and it involves both understanding, and I'm speaking to America right now, but this could apply to any nation. I know people from many nations watch this. There's something about understanding the history of our nation that enables us both to see how God has worked or how the enemy has devastated, that gives God something to work with prophetically so that he can speak to us about what he intends to do in our day and on into the future. And there is, and I, I'm, I'm hearing this in messages preached in many kind of, 
you know, spirit-filled prophetic movements and ministries. There is a vision of the new heavens and the new earth. There is a vision of heaven invading earth and God's desire to bring the kingdom of God on the earth, not only in our day, but fully at the coming of the Lord and on into eternity. But there is this vision of both history and how it brought us to where we're at and how God can use both history and a prophetic understanding of his heart and his intention both to bless and to bring discipline in our day that gives us a framework to understand what's coming prophetically. And so uh, hopefully that made sense. I literally had to finish dealing with somewhat of a situation and go right into doing the Facebook Live uh, but hopefully you are able to track with me and follow me. I believe this is something that God wants both intercessors and prophetic voices to be caught up in as Jeremiah was, as Isaiah was. The reason that they were God's best friend in their generation is because God could relate to them. It's like a father remembering, you know, you remember when you were five years old? You remember when your brother was five years old? And oh yeah, I remember he fell down and he sprained his ankle and I, I nursed him back to health and then I taught him to ride a skateboard. That was so amazing. God wants those that he can both dialogue about history with and that he can strategize with for what he wants to do in the future. You know, Jeremiah was one of those that God would, it was like God was commiserating. I don't know if that's the right word or not, but God was saying, do you see what's happening in Israel? The only thing that I can do, the only way that I can recover them is to bring discipline here because my ultimate plan is ultimate redemption, ultimate recovery. And I think God's looking for those uh, that he can bring into his panoramic understanding of our past, our present, and our future. And so, Lord, we do thank you for the incredible opportunity that you give us, Lord, to be close enough to you that you would share your secrets with us, God, that you would share your strategy, that you would share your perspective on history. I pray, God, that you would breathe on American history in the lives of everyone who's watching, those who are from America, God, those from many other nations, I pray that you would breathe revelation on the history of our nations, God, that we would understand both where we've come from and where we're headed. I pray that you would give us vision for our nation. God, this is not some kind of humanistic nationalism. God, give us prophetic vision. You want prophets to nations, and I pray you would give us prophetic understanding for our nation, that you could have friends that could both intercede and strategize with you for our nations. God, bring this reality forth more and more in your church in our day. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Bless you so much. Uh, thank you for watching. I encourage you again to go back and watch Sunday's messages from Pastor Chris if you haven't heard those. I mean, I, I've listened to them three times. Like I said, I encourage you to go back and get them yourself. Uh, please share the video. Like the video. The more uh, shares specifically, but likes and shares there are, the farther they go. Uh, and the more people can get in on this word, this dialogue. Uh, and if you're not local, but you're interested in uh, connecting with Morningstar in a greater way, you can 
email our online connect groups. These are groups that are like home groups, but they meet over Skype, over Zoom, they meet over technology, and you can get together with like-minded believers who are also tracking with Morningstar uh, to pray for each other, to study the word together, to prophesy over each other. So you can send an email to online CG. I'm going to put it in the chat. Online CG at mstarm.org. Send an email to that address and our team will get back to you and let you know how you can join online connect groups. All right. Thanks so much for joining me. Lord willing, I'll see you next Wednesday a little after five. Thanks. Thanks.